You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. In this series, Taking God at His Word, we learn about the authority, clarity, necessity, and sufficiency of God's Word in Scripture. What is Scripture effective for? What is the purpose of Scripture? And I just keep, I feel like I have to start here. I just keep getting this picture in my mind of, of someday, someday I'm going to be building a swing set. And uh, I'm going to ask Simeon to come help me. And I'm going to say, Simeon, go get the tool that I need to fix this. Now, if he comes out with a Bible, like, I will be like, well, Simeon, good, good job. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, son, because God's Word is important, and it is a tool that we need in every part of life. But if he brings it out, I would be like, Simeon, try again. That's not the tool. That is not effective for this purpose. And we chuckle at that example. But, I, I mean, we could all just, I could sit here and list example after example of how we've seen Christians use the Bible wrongly. Uh, so I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to leave that ridiculous picture in your mind of my son sitting there hitting our swing set with a Bible, all right? Because I just, get, just keep picturing that, and it's just making me laugh, and it's made me laugh all week. So we're going to be looking in 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we're, we're going to be really all over the Bible today, because today is about bringing together Scripture. We're not just looking at one passage the whole way through and just spending our whole time there. We're going to be bringing from many different passages but how about I pray for us, and then I'm going to finish out the verses that Joe started for us last week. So let's pray. God, we come to you. Um, Lord, I feel very inadequate. And I feel very humbled this morning, because I'm not worthy to stand up here. Father, there are so many in this congregation that are wiser and are smarter, and yet, Lord, you say that the man of God is equipped for every good work from your word. So God, I pray that everyone who's in our hearing this morning would hear from you, and they would hear your word, and it would resonate deeply within their heart. Holy Spirit, I can do absolutely nothing, but like I do in every other moment of life, God, we rest fully upon your word. So help us now to see how your word is necessary and how it's sufficient. God, give us what we need, we pray. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. So I'm gonna read 2 Timothy uh, 3, and then verses 16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So like I said, we're talking about the necessity of Scripture. But in order to talk about the necessity of Scripture, we need to talk about what purpose does the Bible serve? What is the purpose of the Bible? To answer this question, I've divided the sermon into three parts. It's actually very simple. So if you're like me and you're very simple and you like simple things, this one's for you. We're looking at the word truth. So I hope it's up there. I know that's very simple, but truth and this has been used before. I have no clue. I've tried to Google even like the source of this. I have no clue where it's even from. It's from Randy Millwood. He's the one who gave it to me initially. But truth, all lowercase truth. So this truth, as I'm defining it, is what is, is, is we'll call it the first layer of truth, which is, has been called general revelation, that God has revealed himself to all man, mankind in a general way. It's the kind of truth that we use to build hospitals, to direct traffic patterns, to create music, to create art. It allows carpenters to build beautiful woodworking. 
in one sense, they do not need the Bible. Now hear me. The moment I say that, it's like, is he a heretic? Does this guy just say something heretical? Just hear me out. In one sense, they do not need the Bible to function in their profession or trade, okay? So if you're a carpenter and you have a carpenter that sets out and says, hey, I built this, bu- this bench according to the Bible, don't sit on that bench. I'm not sure how he built the bench, but it's, it's not a good bench because the Bible is not used for that. Though that maybe seems very spiritual that he's like, oh, well, he built the bench based off the Bible. Like, that sounds very spiritual, but that, that, that's not the purpose of the Bible. The Bible does not teach us how to, how to feed our children or teach us how piano works or teach us what two plus two is. Though, though the Bible is consistent in truth, it is not teaching us those things. And we as Christians, we, we must know this, that we must be a people of truth. And that seems very simple, but it, it's necessary to say. Because we can all, all, maybe all of humanity, can even agree for a minute that world hunger is a problem. But the moment a solution is asserted, okay, we all agree, world hunger is a problem, let's fix it. Truth, let's fix it with some truth. We all disagree again. So why is that? So we can all look and see this is a problem, but how can we fix it? The problem is we disagree because everyone interprets what they believe and what they see based off of, they, they see truth and they interpret the truth based off of what they believe. And we cannot d- take those things apart. That little boy, my little son, picture him again at the beginning, he would be very frustrated if he's trying to use the Bible to beat the boards together. And Christians, though that's a ridiculous example, it really is how, how Christians have tried to use the Bible for so long. The Bible is not necessary for knowledge that God exists. And that, that, that's kind of a turn. But how much can people know? So that's the question. We're talking about this, this all, lowercase capital, or all lowercase truth. And the question we should ask is how much then can people know truth about God without the Bible? That should be the first question we ask. And you can turn in Romans uh, to Romans chapter 1. And for some of you, it's like, wow, we're here again to this same passage in Romans. Joel's shaking his head. Yes, Joel loves the book of Romans. <laughs> Romans chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 18. Paul's explaining humanity's plight. He says this. He says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Okay, so the truth there for Paul is not just, is not just some vague esoteric truth. It's actually the truth about God and who he is. So every human you talk to, every person you've ever talked to in your entire life, whether they admit it or not, believes God exists. That's 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 a hard concept for us to understand. That's a hard concept for me to understand. Their very unrighteousness, the nature that we and them have inherited from their first father, Adam, actually is hindering every person from acknowledging and knowing the truth. So do we need to have a Bible or have someone tell us what the Bible says in order to know God exists? The answer is no. And that, that maybe is very shocking for you. Maybe you're like, wow, I have a friend, he's, he's an atheist, he, he says he's an atheist. He's, he claims he doesn't believe God exists. But the reality is he believes that right and wrong exists. And he knows God's moral characteristics. Listen to what Paul says in verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Paul's main point is saying, 
that in seeing they do not see, in perceiving they do not perceive, because we are blinded from our own unrighteousness. So before you ever have a conversation with a friend and you want to talk to him about God, he knows that God exists. And the reality is, is this verse is telling us that he is actually suppressing that knowledge. And that maybe is a very hard reality. But it should make us do this. Here, here's why it matters. Because if we come up to other people and we say to them, look at the truth, look at all this evidence that God exists, look, look, at, the, look at the way a baby is formed, look at the uttermost cosmos, don't you believe that God exists? We can get very frustrated with him. I, I can get very frustrated with him. Why, why do you not believe this? Friends, we should approach them with just the most gracious, humble heart. Because the reality is, is so were we. Friends, so were we. So were we at one point. But God broke into our hearts and he showed us the reality of himself. Paul's argument to someone who says, well, well how is it? So maybe they say, well, like, well, that's unfair. Paul would say, no, he has revealed himself and you reject it entirely. We see a picture. We're getting ready to start a series through Genesis, and we see this picture of Adam and Eve in the garden. And here's, here's God. He gives them the, the command. He, he, even prior to the fall, he brings them his word. We were never meant to be without God's word, ever. It is necessary. In, in verse 16 of, of Genesis 2, it says, And the Lord commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in that day you eat it, you will surely die. And what does he say? Number one, he doesn't teach his wife, which shows that he didn't believe in that moment, even, that the word was necessary. The man's job was to communicate it to his wife and listen to what his wife's response is in, in chapter three. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the tree in the garden, but God said, you shall, not eat of the, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And in, in less than a chapter, we see a shift from, here's God saying, here's my word, follow me, be obedient. And they say, no, I need another word. I'm going to change your word, and I'm going to say, I, I shouldn't touch it. That's what he's really saying. And in that moment, we just see the collapse. And I'm not trying to walk through Genesis because we're getting ready to go through a series in that. So if you call yourself a Christian today, maybe, maybe you think, well, Daniel, I haven't seen many trees of the knowledge of good and evil lately when walking by them, so what does this matter? But the reality is, is if you call yourself a Christian, and I, I meet Christians all the time on campus who do this, they don't reject God's word outrightly. Most people typically won't do that. They'll say, yeah, there's, there's probably some truth in here. Yeah, there's truth. Sure, I'll give you that. But they do not see that this is the ultimate authority over their life. Let me show you how this happens. I'll say to students, typically, they'll come and they'll be like, I'll say, let's go evangelize. And their first response to me will be, I would evangelize, but I'm an introvert. And I'm not knocking you introverts, by the way. You guys are some of the greatest evangelists I've ever seen. But that's what they say. So let me hear that. Let me say that again. I would evangelize, which is a biblical command, but I'm an introvert. So if you don't know what an introvert is, there's this whole system of thought over here called the Myers-Briggs that comes out with this thing that says, oh, yes, introverts are people that are rejuvenated when they spend time alone. And they're saying, oh, yeah, here's this biblical command, but I, I'm an introvert. You don't understand, Daniel. It's like, I think I do understand, and I think it's still a command. 
And, or they'll say, you hear this one all the time, I know the Bible says I shouldn't go in this direction, but my heart, my, my heart, and they even say it like real, like deep, like, but my heart goes in this direction. It's like, friends, that is, is, is flying in the face of the necessity and the sufficiency of Scripture. In that moment, they're saying, the introvert is saying, I take the Myers-Briggs, and here's the Bible. I'm going to put Myers-Briggs right there. Don't have to do what it says. Or, or to the person that says, I'm going to follow my own direction, the Bible says that your heart's wicked above all else. But they say, nope, my heart, right there, over above the necessity of Scripture. So what is the purpose of the Bible? And again, for you simpletons like me, I like my second truth, which is the capital T truth. Isn't it great when you have a sermon that is the same word three times over, <laughs> but just a little bit different? So truth, capital T. So Matt read this morning from Romans 10, and he, or yes, he read from Romans 10. And, and in it, Paul is saying, so we saw what he said in Romans 1, and then we jump all the way to Romans 10. And he says, he asks this question in, in verse 14. You might want to turn there because we will spend a little bit of time here. So Romans 10 in this argument, Paul, Paul's just laid out this whole big theological corpse, <laughs> this huge thing of how man comes to salvation. But then he asks this question, well, how are they to hear God's word? This is what he says in chapter 10, verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? These are great questions, by the way. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what has, he has heard from us? Verse 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So that, that's really important. So when we ask the question, how does someone find salvation? We, we come to our second point, which is the Bible is necessary. So here we go. Now we're starting to get into like, what is the Bible necessary for? The Bible is necessary and sufficient for knowledge of the gospel. And again, some of you might be like, well, good one, Daniel. Where'd you get that one? Kindergarten? Because that's so simple, right? We would think that's an easy one. But the Bible is sufficient for knowledge. It's necessary and sufficient for knowledge of the gospel. This passage in Romans shows us that the Bible is necessary for a person to come to a knowledge that is, has been called special revelation. So we've looked at general revelation, how God has revealed to all mankind general truth about himself. But now we're looking at special revelation that he has given his word that it may be known to his people. They come to this knowledge through the word of Christ because without God's word or someone explaining it, how could anyone hear the beautiful truths attested in the Bible? For there's no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. How on earth could they come to that knowledge apart from that God's word? The answer is they cannot which there's an implication then for us. If that is true, if, if, if mankind is, is bound in their sin and it is necessary that God's word come to them, you know, God's word doesn't come and knock on their door. Romans 10, the, the point of Romans 10 is he's saying, you, how beautiful are the feet of those who take God's word to those who don't know it. 
That's the whole point of Romans 10. How beautiful are those? And here's the thing. The Bible doesn't come and knock on their door and say, hello, hello get, come read me. No, he's given people. He's given me and you to be witnesses and heralds on his behalf. And that doesn't mean we all have to stand behind a pulpit. We preach every single day. Every, when, when words come out of your mouth, you reveal what's in your heart. And when you do that with people who don't know Jesus, you reveal the gospel. The gospel is shown. So if, if you're walking around with all this worldly wisdom, that's what's going to come out. I love what John Owen says. He says this. He says, Scripture is sufficient unto the end for which it was designed. That is, sufficient to generate, cherish, increase, preserve faith and love and reverence with holy obedience in them, in such a way and manner as we, as will assuredly bring them unto the end of all supernatural revelation in the enjoyment of God. And what Owen's saying is he's saying that this word is designed to make us love God more. It's, make, it's to make us be transformed into the image of Christ. And with people without this word, they will never come to this knowledge. Which is why it's necessary for me and you, friends. Let me give you another example of how we, how we kind of fall short in this. Uh, picture with me, imagine with me if we will. This is an example from J.I. Packer. I found it very helpful. He, he says to imagine a grandfather who's full of stories. Uh, he shares them with his grandkids all the time. He grew up during the Great Depression. He, he, he had, he's lived through a lot in life. But he uses these stories to tell his children, to teach them a lesson. And he tells them of the struggle to find food. He tells them how they used to scrounge for all the goods that they ever had. But he, he tells one particular story of how his mother one evening uh, was suffering. They were, that she was having a breakdown. They're in the middle of the Depression. And his father, he told, the grandfather tells the story how his father was a very cold man, very indifferent. But this day, he was very affectionate and loving toward his, toward his wife. Now, the grandfather tells this story to his children so that they would know, no matter how bad it gets, never let each other give up. Now, that's what the grandfather's intention for his grandchildren to hear is. Now, the, grand, the grandchildren... <laughs> They maybe, they maybe can recite this story word for word, but they can fail in two fundamental ways, and I think this is very important. The first fundamental way is they will not allow the grandfather's story to shape their own life, which is one of the ways that we actually fail with God's word. Is we'll, we'll even stand there and say, yeah, Daniel, God's word, it's necessary. Yeah, Daniel, it's sufficient, but then what do we do? We go check out Instagram, or we go check out Pinterest to tell us what is true in life. We don't allow God's Word to shape our lives, which, which can be done by saying, ah, well, God's Word, it's old-fashioned, it's traditional in this way. Yeah, I know it tells me I should handle this relationship in this way. I should forgive this person, but you know what? Ah, that's that's old-fashioned, Daniel. Look at this other way you can do but the second error, which is the one I really want to focus on, it's the one that's far more subtle. It's the one that's far more small, small. It's that they can put an emphasis on the part of the story that the grandfather never intended. And I feel like I see this all the time. This happens all the time. Which can be done by not allowing the point of the story or the point of God's word to be the point that we live by. 
Maybe they remember the, 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 the grandmother's or great-grandmother's color of her shirt. And they're like, wow, I wonder, wonder what shade of green that shirt was. And it's like, that's not the point. And we do the same thing. We're about to step into Genesis. We're going we're gonna to see stories of a flood. We're going to see stories of a snake talking to Eve. Friends, we're going to look at a lot of stories, and we can really miss the point. We can become so far off, off base that it's like, whoa. We need to hear what Scripture's saying about Scripture, which is why we need the third level of truth. So this is truth, capital T, capital R, capital T, capital H, which is Jesus. So capital T, capital R, capital T, Wow, can't even spell truth. Goodness, don't listen to me. It's up on the screen. Mercy. <laughs> Woo! So turn with me real quick to Hebrews, um, Hebrews chapter 1. And again, we're, we're really trying to, in this series, look through what is the Bible's own attesting nature of itself. What does the Bible say about itself? Not what does Daniel say about the Bible, what, is, not what Joe says about the Bible, not what anybody says about the Bible. What does the Bible say about the Bible? And it's just Hebrews chapter 1, starting in verse 1. He says this. The writer of Hebrews, he says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Verse 2 says, But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. This passage is asserting and saying that God has spoken differently to his people throughout time and space and history. He spoke differently to Adam and Eve in the garden than he speaks to us today. He spoke differently to Abraham, but the word to each of them was sufficient and was necessary. But we are in the last days. We are, are the ones who have seen and have heard, and he has spoken to us by his Son. The climactic word from God is Jesus Christ himself. And friends, how much more? If God looked at the people of old and said, I'm going to punish you 40 years in the wilderness to his people of Israel. If he says, all, you can look all throughout the Old Testament, all the punishment that was given. How much more so to the people who reject and deny God's climactic word, which is Jesus the one whom he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. He has determined the one who he said, all authority in heaven and earth is given to me. It is through the truth, capital T, of God's word that we accurately understand Jesus, the truth, capital T, capital, I'm not even gonna try to do it, it's on the screen. I'm mess it up again. Jesus says in another place, he says in John 5, you search the scriptures because you think in them that you have eternal life and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. So Jesus is even saying to the religious leaders that in, in John 5, he says that you search the scriptures, you search all of this, but he's like, you're missing this. You wanna know why? Because you're missing me. Because it is the scriptures that testify of me. And then John, later, in his later letter, he says this, we are from God. John, 1 John 4, 6, he says, whoever knows God, listen to the test that he gives, whoever knows God, whoever knows God, listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. 
So John's giving us the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. He's saying the spirit of truth is the one who recognizes that Jesus is, is Messiah. And the spirit of error is the one who, who, rec who does not recognize him. So for all the people in our lives that are maybe saying to you, yeah, come here, believe this truth. Come, come, and, get this, come and get this thing. This will make your life better. And they reject Jesus. I don't know why the, the, the thought that keeps coming to my mind is Freud. Freud says, Freud says, yeah, yeah, go, go find your deep past wound, and then we'll heal that wound, and then you'll find life and find freedom. But, but that's the spirit of error, friends. It's the spirit of error because they reject that Jesus is Messiah. <laughs> they reject that the spirit that says, that testifies, Jesus is Lord. So does, how, how does someone know? That's the question we should ask. So Daniel, if you're saying there's all sorts of errors, the devil twists so many, so many worldviews, so many, so many different paths, but there's only one way to stand. So how do they know? How does someone know what God desires for their life? Which brings us to our third point, which is the Bible is necessary and sufficient to instruct us for life and godliness. And this will be the last passage I will ask that you to turn to, I promise. Second Peter, uh, starting in verse one. So the Bible is necessary and sufficient to instruct us for life and godliness. Now remember, Peter, Peter's writing to a people who are being persecuted. And this, this is what he says in, in 2 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3. He says, His divine power has granted us to, granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory and excellence. And I want, I want you to do, a, do me a favor. When you hear verse three, I want you to put these words before it because it doesn't really make much sense if you don't. And I am confident that those blessings will be yours since his divine power. In the original language, it just starts with, he just starts with like an and. And it's so weird. It doesn't make any sense at all. But if you put that... Prior, if you see what he's saying, he's saying, and I'm confident that those blessings will be yours since his divine power has granted us all, us all things that pertain to life and godliness. The divine power that, that Peter's talking about here is, that has been granted to us is the salvation for everyone who believes. It's the gospel. It's the divine power of God. And at the center of life and godliness is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is, what, this is the problem. When people use the Bible and they just try to find some moral, good moral principles, they'll go, look at Jed, or, uh, they'll go look at Gideon, they'll go look at Noah, and they'll be like, well, just be like them. And this is why it falls short, friends, because the, when, it, when life and godliness misses the gospel of Jesus Christ, it does not help. Life and godliness centers upon the gospel. It has been given to us all things, this divine power. The word granted, though, is this idea of a, of a past reality that has been secured, that now has this present reality for us today. It has been granted in the past and now has a present effect upon us. And his divine power has been granted to us in that way. Another way of saying it is that God has provided everything his people need to be spiritually supplied no matter their circumstances. God does not promise that he will give you blessing and he will give you so many other things that people say that he will give you. But his divine power has been granted to us for all of life. So when, maybe you're like me, you run into a problem 
and a Christian, a good little Christian, they don't go to the world. They don't go to Instagram. I'm not like those whatever Christians. I go to Desiring God, right? The website even, it's like it's even called Desiring God, right? It's like so good. But the problem with that, and here's the thing, the problem with that is we don't run first to Jesus, is we don't run first to the truth. We run to some other person. And listen, it's good. We need to have other people in our life. We must have other people in our life. But have you run, with all your problems this week, have you run to God and his word first? I'm not trying to say I've done this. I'm trying to say, friends, we need to do this. Because that shows that we believe the sufficiency of God's word and the necessity of it to where we run to first. Another way to say it is that God has provided everything his people need to be spiritually supplied in every circumstance. We are not promised material blessings, but the power of the gospel, by the power of the gospel, there is no excuse for not living a godly life because we have received everything we need to do so. Let me say that one more time. By the power of the gospel, there is no excuse for us not to live a godly life because we have received everything we need to do so. Wayne Grudem says this. He says, we should be encouraged that everything God wants to tell us about the question, about, about that question, which is any question, is to be found in Scripture. This does not mean that the Bible answers all of our questions. We might think up, for the secret things belong to the Lord our God. But it does not mean that when we're facing a problem of genuine importance to our Christian life, we can approach Scripture with the confidence that from God will provide us with guidance for that problem. So when we think about parenting, immediately we'll run to Paul Tripp. I love Paul Tripp. Paul Tripp's a great guy. But people are only correct and accurate insofar as they run or they explain from God's Word what is true with parenting. Or maybe, or maybe you, you, you hear things like this coming to you. I, I know what the Bible says about disciplining my child. I, like, I shouldn't, I, I don't need to discipline them. I found this new way. We don't, like, don't need to discipline. But friends, the Bible clearly says we do. So it's like, what, the Bible is necessary and it's sufficient to provide us how to do so. Or maybe you hear, I, I know the Bible says I shouldn't lash out at my wife, but you know, I've, I've always was raised in that way. Friends, we do this all the time. Men, women, we must value God's word and we show that we value God's word by how we treat God's word in our home. So men, do we read God's word over our families? And again, this isn't to shame anyone. This is to say God's word is necessary and it's sufficient. Or wives, reading God's word with our children showing our children, imparting to our children that this is God's word and it will train you in life and godliness. But Second Peter's not done. So he says, his divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who's called us to his own, called us to his own glory and excellence. But how? How has God done this? He says, through, I'm sorry, yes, through the knowledge of him who's called us to his own glory and excellence. So it's through the knowledge. It's through the knowledge of him and what he has done, which is necessary, makes it necessary for God's word to be in our life. To say that it's through the knowledge means that it's necessary and sufficient 
to train us. John, earlier in John, John 1, he says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And it's by his own glory and excellence that he calls us to himself. And he continually calls us to himself. So when we think about life, when we think about living life, we don't do so in our own wisdom. We don't do so in Instagram wisdom. We don't do so by wisdom from the almanac. We don't do so from so many other sources of wisdom. We do so from God's word, and it's necessary and sufficient. Bill Mounts, he says this. I really like what he says. He says, if we have not been called to a task and denied the power to carry it through, God's demands are always accompanied by what, what it takes to complete the job. Which is why 2 Timothy 3, 17 says, that the man of God may be complete, may be complete, for every and equipped, complete and equipped, complete or whole and equipped, trained up in the way to do every good work. This is not a legalistic, moralistic working. This is a every good work that comes from faith. It's able to instruct us in that way. But the last principle we need to see is the Bible is sufficient or necessary and sufficient to allow us to see the world. And Second Peter's not done. He says this. He said, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. These promises, they can range anywhere from, from the new heavens and the new earth to Jesus' second coming to the atonement. All of these precious and great promises, which have actually been completed in the past and yet brought forward into the future, are being granted, have been granted to us so that we may become partakers of the divine nature. You know, Greek thought, I, I have this huge big quote, and I'm not, I don't have time to use it, but if you like my notes, I'd give it to you. This language that Peter's using, he's using language from the Greco-Roman world. So much so, like all the philosophers, they would have understood what he was saying, but they would have understood it completely differently, <laughs> completely backward, because they would have said that, oh, oh, humanity, we have the divine nature already, but that's not what Peter says. He's using, and this is why, this is why it's important that we see that, that his, that his necessity and sufficiency of his word is necessary for us to see the world. Peter says this. He says, the world is saying <laughs> that, that the divine nature is yours because you're a human. But that's not true. That's not what Peter's saying. He's saying that it has been granted to you by grace, through faith, in Christ alone. And that is not the same thing. So Peter is able to see the world in light of the gospel, and he's able to view every situation he comes to in life through the lens of the gospel, which is why we need the truth of Scripture to know the truth, capital T. I hope that, yeah, there it is. So we need the truth, capital T, of Scripture to know the truth, which is Jesus, so that we can see the truth of the world accurately. We don't learn how to build bridges from Scripture but we do learn how to rely on Jesus as we interact with our coworkers. We do learn how to honor God in our work by working hard and diligently. All of our problems are now seen through the lens of the gospel. 
Blaise Pascal, he says this. He says, Jesus is the center of all, the object of all, and whoever does not know him knows nothing aright, either of the world or of himself. This is not to say that we should never go to other resources, but when we go to other resources, Heath Lambert says this, I like what he says. He says, so we do not dare to avoid outside sources of instruction. The point of the formal sufficiency of Scripture is to affirm the authority of Scripture and ensure that all use of outside sources points us back to the authority of Scripture. But friends, it doesn't end there. Look at what he says in 5 through 9. He says that it is by the promises that we have, we have been given that we actually, it is the, it, they are the means by which that bring us out of, out of the corruption of this world. He says, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So there's a sense in which you can be unfruitful in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. We don't have time to talk about that, but Peter's saying that we can, the necessity and the sufficiency of Scripture gives us all we need for life and godliness, and it gives us all that we need to interpret all the other truth that we receive. So I'm going to pray for us, uh, and then we're going to take communion. But may, may I just challenge you this week? And if this sermon has, has kind of like, Daniel, I, I got it. It's cool. I, I just challenge you this week. See where you go. I, and I've, I've even just challenged my own heart to, to see where I go, to see how, how, do, how much do I take the necessity of Scripture do I run to, when I have a problem in life, do I run to Jesus and his word, or do I run to all the other things in my life? Do I run to other people to hear what they have to say, or do I run to my Savior, who has is, who is promised and said that he has given us all that we need for life and godliness? All right, let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have given us everything we need. You have not abandoned us, that you have actually supplied and you have sufficiently given everything we need to know your word and your truth. Not just to know it, but Father, to actually walk in obedience, to actually learn self-control, to actually learn virtue, not in some moralistic way, but Lord Jesus, because of the, because of the grace given to us, we can actually walk in obedience. We thank you, God. We pray that you'd help us to do that, do so this week. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. To learn more about our church, visit our website at mountaincty.church. Thanks again, and may the Lord bless your week.